0: Good morning. We have um, two readings this morning. The first reading is Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 1 to 19. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shingyonoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, raised, flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow and called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens, at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us. "'Gloating as though about to devour the wretched who are in hiding. "'You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. "'I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, "'decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. "'Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity "'to come on the nation invading us. "'Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines,' Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the Director of Music, on my stringed instruments. The second reading is uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, starting at verse 2 and going on to verse 10. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. This is God's word.
1: morning, everyone. My name is Pete. I'm an assistant minister here. Uh, Habakkuk 3 has done me a lot of good this week. And I uh, hope it might do you a lot of good this morning. Let's pray, shall we, that that will happen. Father in heaven, sovereign Lord, who by your power made the earth, brought your people out of Egypt, and uh, gave our Lord Jesus so that we could be here this morning, sins forgiven, looking forward to glory. We pray, we pray by the same power of your Holy Spirit, you might bring a blessing to each one of us through this chapter of your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know that moment when a child says to you, do it again. You know, when when the, you've, they've discovered something that you can do with them, which is just terrific, and they're like, "Do it again, do it again, do it again." I had this earlier earlier in the week with our two-year-old. There was a small plastic cup, which was worth about two pence, I reckon. And uh, he, he, I mean, I could have bought him an Xbox and all the goodies in the world, and he would have thought, "I'd rather have the plastic cup," because we were throwing it to each other across the room. And uh, you know, he was he had his hands cut ready, he was trying to catch it, and it was going everywhere. And and every time I threw it. Hee-hee! And again and again. So after five times, I'm thinking, I've got some other stuff I need to get on with. Actually, um, I, I did it again. He's, he's enjoying it so much. His eyes are shining. Do it again. Do it again. So ten times, crumbs. How am I going to break it to him? I can't. I can't throw the plastic cup all day. Fifteen times, I'm like, mm, I've got to. Let's have the cup. Let's just put the cup away. Pretend that the cup never existed. That I've really got to get on with the day. Um, do it again. Do it again. You know that feeling. What happens, just change the scenario, if you are the child, you're asking God to do it again, and God seems to be saying no. That's the, the scenario we find ourselves in in Habakk- Habakkuk chapter 3, because he's been asking God to, to do stuff about injustice, and God seems to be saying no, not, not now, or not in the way you expect. Because Habakkuk's a book about oppression and injustice, it it may be that you have been asking for a change in politics in the country that you love. Come on, God, do it again. I know you've done this before. And God seems to have been saying, no, not in that way. What if you've been asking God to take away a bully, an, an oppressor from your life or the life of somebody you love, and God seems to be saying, no, I won't do it again, not in the way you expect Maybe just in a more everyday way, you've been praying a prayer, You know, maybe you've been praying for a family member, and God seems to be saying, no, I won't do it again, not in the way you expect. Or, I mean, this could apply to any suffering in our lives, couldn't it, God? I know you've relieved suffering in the past, God, I've read about it in the Bible, I've heard about it in other people's lives, so please do it again, and God seems to be saying, Mm-mm. There's a book uh, written all about Habakkuk, which I've discovered. It's called Hind's Feet on High Places. Has anyone heard of this book? Not many. (laughs) Okay, 1955. We've got one. Brilliant. It's all written about Habakkuk 3.19. Habakkuk 3.19. Where Habakkuk says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And a deer, also called a hind, so hind's feet on high places. He enables me to tread on the heights when I'm jubilant and joyful in the Lord and everything seems to be going right. And the book, Hind's Feet on High Places, it's about a character called Much Afraid. And all the characters have got these allegorical names because the whole thing's an allegory. And Much Afraid is a little girl and she stumbles because her feet are all lame so she can't go about her business without stumbling over. And one half of her mouth sags because she can't talk properly. But um, she lives in the valley of humiliation with her family, the fearings. But she longs to dwell on the heights where the shepherd is. And she loves the shepherd and she wants to go on the heights. She knows she doesn't want to live her life in the valley of humiliation. And every so often the shepherd does come down. That's why she loves him because he's tender with her and he takes care of her. But she doesn't know how she can actually live up there. Because her life and her work are in the valley of Humiliation. On top of all that, the shepherd behaves oddly, you know, he'll he'll come and be really tender to her and then he'll just seem to disappear. His his speech is, is in seemingly in an odd way. Of course, if we've been here through the books of Habakkuk the Book of Habakkuk, we recognise that. God does just speak in a way that Habakkuk doesn't expect, or he'll just cut off or give an answer that Habakkuk didn't expect. So Habakkuk is very similar, designed to be similar to much afraid. You know, he's been on this journey of through uh, anguish and despair. But in chapter 3, where we are this morning, we've been building up to this. You know, there's this trajectory towards joy and he's able to say in chapter 3, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will. We've had three cycles, Habakkuk talking to God, God talking back, and this is the final cycle. Last week, I mean, it probably felt like the low point. We, it was woe, five woes, in fact, and um, justice being pronounced. We saw that there was some justice built into the world, so that what goes around comes around, and there was some justice kept back. I think probably those would have been two better sermon points than the five I gave you last week, but I only realized that on Tuesday. Some justice is built in, some justice is kept back. I'm still learning. Um, chapter three, this week, Habakkuk is singing He's saying, I will rejoice in the Lord. And we, we saw as Ginny read it, you know, this is designed to be played on stringed instruments and to, to be played by the orchestra. And there's, there's joy here. Hence, if you've got your service sheet as a, as a musical theme to our sermon points, we've got a chorus, we've got verse one, verse two, and a bridge. I thought the musos among you would enjoy it just for a change. But it, it, it is a song. And the chorus... As we start, the chorus goes, do it again, Lord. Would you do it again? Chapter 3, verse 2. Let me read that. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. This is a a revival prayer, if ever there was one. I mean, this, this would be the verse to pray and start a revival on. Do it again, Lord. Repeat them in our day. So you see, it lends itself to a chorus, doesn't it? That sort of repeated refrain. Lord, I'm I'm praying this. I'm singing this. Repeat your deeds. I'm in awe of them. I want them again. I mean, it suits a chorus, because I'm sure if I said to you, just in a monotone, we all live in a yellow submarine. Yes, yes, you're already humming it in your head. If I said to you, maybe um, everybody in the wholesale block was dancing to the jailhouse rock, you'd Probably most of you have got that going around. If I said, um, this could be para, para, paradise, then probably you know the tune already, right? This is the, this is the chorus, the, the main theme of Habakkuk's song. Would you do it again, Lord? Indeed, there's nothing particularly new about the, the, the idea. If we turn back to chapter 1, verse 5, we'd see, sorry, chapter 1, verse 3, we'd see Habakkuk's been asking, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Implication, please do something about it, Lord. If we skipped on to the next time Habakkuk speaks, chapter 1, verse 13, where he was saying, why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You see, he's been asking God to do something about it. And so in a sense, although chapter 3 is a song, there's nothing very different about the main chorus here. Lord, I'm still asking. I'm tired, I'm weary. The oppression is still going on. Please, would you do something? And then the rest of the song in, in, the, in the large part is verse 1, verse 2, as it were, is God's greatest hits. You know, the, as in the top two things, God, that you've done in the past that I am dwelling on. I'm taking them to heart. I'm thinking about Exodus and about creation. And I wish I could see something more of that style today. So let's have a look at verse 1 of Habakkuk's song. Do Exodus again, he's asking. Verses 3 to 7. Do Exodus again. You see, initially, this is slightly hard to tell what he's talking about. Verse 3. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Raised flash from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him; pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marched on forever. He marches on forever. I saw the tents of cushion distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Perhaps, if we'd taken our Israelite GCSE geography, we might be helped by verse three and verse seven. Have we got the map bent? Here we go. You should, I don't know if you can read this here. I think why the, one of the reasons I was employed here is because I can reach and point to the screen. <laughs> uh, can you see this? The wilderness of Paran. This is what's referenced in verse 3. Um, if it was marked on the map, we'd see that Taman is a Hebrew word for south. So God came from the south, from Taman. He went to the, through Paran, and he's going north. This is the promised land of Canaan, right up here, top left. Verse 7. If we look down at verse 7, we get more geographical markers I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. They're two of the tribes of Edom. So you see Edom, green bit on the right. They're two of the tribes there. So God is going north. It's the root of the Exodus, going from Egypt all the way north to the Promised Land. Habakkuk is saying, Lord, do that again, would you? Do Exodus again. You get other hints. Verse 5, he's talking about plagues. Plagues went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. A, A reminder of the ten plagues in Egypt, perhaps. Verse 6, the nations trembled. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The nations of Egypt and everyone who watched the exodus happen. And later on in verse 6, the ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he, God, marches on forever. So Mount Sinai, shaking, dark, covered in thunder, flashes of lightning. That's what Habakkuk's dwelling on. saying, I've heard about this stuff, Lord. I know what you've done in the past. Last week I went to see um, Finding Dory which is a new Pixar film. I went to see it with Will Smith, a member of the congregation, and it was an odd choice because it was full of children and then it was just us grown men. Um I mean uh, Finding Dory it's got a plot line of its own. It's all about Dory and finding her parents, but in large part it was about you know reliving Finding Nemo. Pixar's great hit, you know, and um lots of appearances from the previous characters like the sea turtles. Um, and it's an opportunity for Pixar to say, ah, oh, you remember that? You know, when, when Daddy Clownfish crossed the ocean and went to save Nemo? Remember that? And of course, there's a line where the turtles say, yeah, that was totally awesome. You know, here Habakkuk saying, you remember that when you crossed the ocean, when you came to save us? That was totally awesome. And, you know, I am just longing for that again. Do that again versus the Babylonians, versus this nation that are invading us and they've sent infantry into our streets and they're dragging away our wives and our children and sending them into exile. I need that again. Do Exodus again. Verse 2, I mean, he layers this up. He says, not only Exodus, I'm thinking about creation. I want you to do creation again, Lord. This is verses 8 to 15 of chapter 3. Initially, he starts off talking about rivers. It's very nautical, do you see? Verse 8, were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode on your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. There's lots of water everywhere just churning and spray, and the white horses of the water... course, the answer to the questions in verse 8, four rhetorical questions. Sorry, it might be three. The rhetorical questions, the answer is no, God wasn't angry with the rivers. I mean, God doesn't get angry with a river, but it must have looked that way. The the way he was dealing with the water at creation. Imagine if if you didn't know anything about bread baking and you watched a baker at work and they're (laughs) pummeling the dough. And you and you were thinking, what are, you, are you angry with the dough? I mean, what, what are you doing? Well, no, I'm not angry with the dough. This is just the way I do what I do. This is this is where the power comes from. And of course, if we'd been there at creation, watching Genesis one, you know, God, the, the earth was a vast deep, and suddenly up comes a continent, and there's waves going, enormous waves that God has just split in order to put a, a landmass there, we'd know what this is talking about. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? No. I'm just powerful. This is the way I create. Verses 11 to 15. It does it get a bit more mysterious here. Verses 11 to 15, you see, he's talking about sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows. He's talking about enemies as well. You know, verse 13, you came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one, which could just mean Israel rather than necessarily a king. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness, stripped him from head to foot, and with his own spear you pierced his head. So God is saving. And some people think perhaps this this is talking about the devil, maybe, you know, verse 14, you you pierced his head, perhaps invoking Genesis 3.15. I don't think we have to get hung up about that. It seems it could just be talking about any enemy of God since creation. This is the way God does deal with them. Habakkuk is dwelling on that. You crush them because you are that powerful. And the point is, of course, God, you did that. You did that. I know that. So would you do it again? Do creation again and everything since? Flex your muscles in this situation against the Babylonians. So that's verse 1 and verse 2 of Habakkuk's song. Do Exodus again. Do creation again. And then we get to the bridge. Now I understand that a a bridge in a song is kind of where something changes. Maybe the the tempo or the the feeling or the the chords. Forgive me, I'm I'm not an expert here. Um, But something changes here in in Habakkuk chapter 3. Verses 16 to 15. I heard... Presumably he heard everything that God said to him in Habakkuk so far. I heard... And my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. It seems to be an actual ang- physical anxiety attack he's having, so a sort of a panic attack. You see all the physical manifestations. My heart pounded, my legs, my, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. I just felt rotten, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently. For the, delay, for, for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. This, that bit, those two lines, I will wait patiently for the day, day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. I mean, that sums up all the content of the book of Habakkuk. There's a nation invading us, and God's told me to wait patiently. It doesn't sum up all the emotion, but it sums up all the content. And here we get to the, the crunch. This is what makes the bridge... A change. Verse 17, these famous verses Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. This is why I've called the bridge. Do nothing. This is what Habakkuk's been wrestling with all along. You know, God, do it again. God, do exodus again. Do creation again. And now do... Oh, you're doing nothing. Oh, my goodness. We're doing absolutely nothing that I asked. Though there's no fig trees, no olives, no produce, no cattle, no livestock, no nothing. Though my people are being dragged into exile. I mean, this isn't just a sort of... Oh, you know, don't, I don't seem to have had an answer yet. This is starvation. This is Habakkuk looking at the children playing in the streets and being able to count all the ribs down their abdomen because there's no food. This is seeing cohorts of people dragged out of the city gates screaming and taken away to Babylon. This isn't just, oh, (laughs) there's a plum tree in the garden and it doesn't seem to have yielded any plums this year. Oh, what, What a shame, maybe we'll get some next year. There's nothing. What do you do if God does... Nothing that you asked for. Presumably you don't do what a friend of mine told, told me last week. She's, she's a Christian. She's um, been going to a, a, a church in a market town in England for two decades now since she became a Christian. And she's had ME for uh, about 15 years. And at this previous church she was at, they said to her, well, you obviously don't have enough faith because if you did have enough faith in God, he'd take your ME away. Assuming they never preach Habakkuk chapter 3 at their church. Never allow any Bible studies on it. Never do anything on that. Because it seems to me that here verse verse 17 is saying. that Though there's nothing. that there's no fruit that I wanted. I will, verse 18, rejoice in the Lord. There is a way for me to be a person of faith here. And so Habakkuk would say to us. Look, no fruit does not mean no faithfulness. And that means no faithfulness on God's part. That doesn't mean there's no faithfulness on God's part. He's still God, and doesn't mean there's no faithfulness on my part. There's still a way for me to be a person of faith here. No fruit doesn't mean no faithfulness. We've got that wrong if we think that. My favourite example of this is um, a man called Tom Carson. You might have heard of Don Carson, who's his son. And he spoke on a weekend away, some of us earlier in the year. And Tom Carson was this guy's dad, Don Carson's dad. And he was a a pastor in French-speaking Canada in the post-war period. And to all intents and purposes, Tom Carson saw no fruit in his life. He he labored in French-speaking Canada in an era when nobody really wanted to listen. he'd try and do church plants and they just wouldn't happen He'd try and build a rapport and some denominational identity with the clergy nearby and they'd stab him in the back. There's no fruit from his life. And at the end of the book, Don Carson talks about how his dad lay in a hospital bed dying and uh, his wife had died. He was a widower. And his daughter, who had been there by the hospital bed, had just gone down to the convenience store to get something. And his dad just dies with no one there. And he talks about the, the only sound that was left in the room was the, the noise of the ventilator machine hissing when it was no longer required because his lungs had stopped breathing. And he said, you know, my, my dad, he passed away an ordinary pastor. That's what the book's called. It's an ordinary pastor. No, no particular fruit in his life. And yet the trumpet sounded for him on the other side. And there was a great welcome for him in glory. And Jesus said to him, well done, good and faithful Servant. You see, no fruit doesn't mean no faithfulness. Okay, but we might still be thinking, I get it, but I still don't get the secret. I mean, what, what's the secret to this? If, if you're telling me it's okay to be a person of faith in this sort of situation with a, with a nothing on the vine... I still don't get how I can get by. That's where I want to pay close attention to Habakkuk's closing words here. Of course, we've learned things from Habakkuk in previous weeks, haven't we? I mean, chapter one, we learned that we could complain to God. It's okay if we couch it in the right way to, to complain to God. Uh, next week, we learn that we can, we can wait for justice because, because God famously says to Habakkuk, look, look, wait, live by faith. And of course, for a Christian, waiting for justice means waiting for Jesus. So we can complain to God. We can wait for justice. Last week, we learned unexpectedly that we can say woe to our oppressors. God does give us language when we're suffering and we want to say something back. We can complain. We can wait. We can say woe. And then here, we can take an inventory. We take an inventory. I need to explain that. It might sound a bit odd. But you see what he's doing here? It's like he's going through all the stuff he has. So... Verse 17, I, I sort of imagine him talking to his assistant. Maybe Habakkuk's got a prophet's assistant or something, and he, and he talks to him and he says, can you just go and check for me? Just run around the city. Tell me um, how many figs seem to be on the on the fig trees. <laughs> he comes back and says, there's no, there, I mean, there's none. There's, there's no figs on the fig tree. Okay, um, just go and check for me, would you? How many grapes are on the vines? <laughs> Messenger's tired. <laughs> there's no Grapes on the vines, actually. I mean, I can't see any. This is just obviously not fruited this year. And the messenger's dreading this, but Habakkuk says, go and look at the olive crop. Just tell me, how what's the olive crop looking like this year? (sighs) Okay, okay, okay. comes back, and there's there's nothing. Habakkuk, there's nothing. What do you do if that's the inventory? I can imagine Habakkuk saying to his assistant, look, just stay there. (gasps) Okay. (sighs) Habakkuk, um, Habakkuk says... How many gods are there? And the assistant thinks this must be a trick question. He says, we know this, Habakkuk, there's one God. And Habakkuk says, yes, there's one God. And he talks to us, doesn't he? Because I've been pouring out my complaint to him. And he does answer. We have heard from him. And I rejoice in that. Even though it hasn't necessarily been what I thought I wanted. And he might say to his assistant, how many greatest hits have we seen from God in this song, assistant? And the assistant says, well, we've been writing this song. It's, I suppose it's got the, the top two, hasn't it? It's got God's two greatest hits. Uh, it's got the Exodus and it's got creation. There's a ton of other stuff he's done since then. Yes, that's right. That's right. And if we were to continue the, the inventory assistant, then we might say, God's got a covenant, a savior, and an army. This is all here in verse 18 and 19, you see. So verse 18, the way Habakkuk phrases this is so important. Yet he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. And if you see Lord in capital letters in your Bible, it means Yahweh. That's the covenant name which he he gave in Exodus. So Habakkuk might say to his assistant, you know, we've got one covenant. We've got something that lasts and lasts and lasts and which God is never going to bail out of with his people. He might say, and we've also got a savior. So verse 18b, I will be joyful in God, my savior. You know, assistant, we've got this savior who comes to rescue us like he did with his people. We've got a covenant and a savior, and then we've got an, an army, verse 19. Apparently the word strength in verse 19. Often in the Psalms you get this expression, the, the Lord God is my strength, and it uses a particular word, oz. Apparently that's the Hebrew word. Um, but here it doesn't use the word oz, it uses a, a different one, hazil, which can also be translated army. You know, the Lord, the sovereign Lord is my army. I guess they didn't translate it that way because it sounds weird when you read it. But the Sovereign Lord is my entire armed forces. He's everything I need. He's my foot soldiers, my my artillery, my cavalry, and my command. I've got a covenant and a saviour and an army. I imagine it a bit like this. Say say Barack Obama, President of the United States, goes walking in some neighbourhood of one of his cities late at night and some thugs come up to him from behind. They don't realize who it is. They think there's a sharply dressed man. We'll have his mobile phone in his wallet, please. And so they, you know, they come up to him. They grab him by the shoulders and they say, give us your money. And as he turns around, oh, oh, oh my goodness, you're the president. Oh, dear. You, I suppose if they were very eloquent thugs, they might say, you have a constitutional mandate from the people of America, don't you? You have a sort of covenant from the people of America saying that you're in charge. Not only that, you probably have a personal bodyguard 50 yards behind you, don't you? You have a saviour who's ready to come and get us. And not only that, but you are, in fact, the commander-in-chief of all the armed forces of America, aren't you? So you have an army at your disposal. Oh, we picked on the wrong guy, didn't we? It probably would... No thug has ever thought that. But, um, you know... Here's the picture of Habakkuk doing his inventory and saying, I have a covenant. I I have a savior. I have the Lord's armies. This is Yahweh. This is the one I've been dealing with all along. And nothing has changed in any of those regard. And for a New Testament Christian, I mean, you just layer this up. I I have a Messiah. I have the, the long promised king, as we're hearing about in the children's slot, who's wearing all the right garments. He's got all the right credentials. I've got him. Habakkuk didn't know about him having come. I've got a sacrificial lamb who died and made made it so I could be forgiven. I mean, I've got a resurrection, which guarantees me that when I die, that's not the end. I've got a Holy Spirit living within me that's God himself. I've got a father who's adopted me into his family. And he says, you can call me Abba, you can call me dad. And on top of that, I've got millions, billions of brothers and sisters, Christians around the world, who if I just went and... If I knocked on the door of their house today, this afternoon, and I said, "Hi, I'm a, I'm a I believe in Jesus Christ too, can I come in? They'd say, yeah. yeah, oh, you love him too? Come in. I've got all of that. That's in my inventory. Which explains our New Testament reading. You know, when Ginny read it, and, and the Apostle Paul is, is kind of lamenting all the stuff, the hardships he's got, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he's saying... I've suffered hardships and distresses and beatings and imprisonments and riots. In one sense, one column of my inventory lists all these things. And yet, on the other hand, I can say, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 10, I have nothing and yet I possess everything. The other column of my inventory says I've got everything. Everything. In that book I told you about, Hind's Feet on High Places. Um, she, she goes on the journey, so she's called Much Afraid. And um, she goes on the journey and the shepherd takes her and he's tender with her. And he doesn't always behave the way she expects. And sometimes he vanishes and sometimes she's, he says unexpected things. But he leads her up the path. In particular, he gives her two companions. And they're called Sorrow and Suffering. And they have to go up this narrow path through first of all the valley of humiliation then up to the high places and eventually she gets to the place where she can say verse 19 yeah he leads me so that my feet are like the feet of a deer and he changes her name to grace and glory you see much afraid grace and glory realizes that no fruit doesn't mean no faithfulness in God's economy not when we do our inventory that way Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we con- we confess to you that we feel much afraid loads of the time. We feel like we dwell in the valley of humiliation when we read about things happening around the world, when we consider our lives and the lives of the people we love, we consider the lot of many Christians around the world, much afraid yet we rejoice in Habakkuk's journey. We long for that ourselves, O great shepherd, that you would lead us to the high places that we can, not just now, not just this week, but at the end of our lives, also say you, you led us there so we can enjoy you, our covenant Lord, our saviour, our strength and our army. We depend on you more than ever today, Father, and we pray that as we go out this this day, this week, this month, this new year, that you would... Do this in our lives. Indeed, whatever it may hold. Thank you for your faithfulness.
0: Amen.